Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Hey, Derek, guess what? Hit me with it. We just got a promotion with Audible. Audible, fantastic. I love Audible. Do you know what the cool thing about this deal is? What's that? If our listeners go to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod, they get a free trial with Audible. And do you know what they get with that? What do they get with that? Tell me. They, they get one free audiobook of their choice and they get two free Audible originals, which is special content that Audible makes available free for all its uh, subscribers. Are you kidding me? That deal is so good. I may go myself and sign up. Do you think you, they let you keep the books after you're done? No, you're not, you're not going to tell me they let you keep the books after you're done. Yes. In fact, you can go sign up for a trial and you can cancel before the trial ends and you get to keep the books you've already downloaded. Well, I don't see how you can beat that with a stick. I Exactly, yeah. And you can lots of great books, especially for fans of this show. You can listen to uh, Super Gods by Grant Morrison, which is all about like how the superhero uh, comics have changed and evolved over time. Or you can check out Marvel Comics, The Untold Story. Which is a terrific book. I have that both in hardcover and I listen to that on Audible myself in my car while traveling back and forth. And there's also another similar book that's called Slugfest, which is about like the the wars between Marvel and DC Comics. Oh, okay. So that's another one you got to check out too. So yeah, head on over to audibletrial.com slash supercinemapod and start your free trial right now. You got one free audiobook and two free Audible originals and you can keep them even if you cancel before it's over. Now see this, this spark in you, it's, it's amazing. Whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. Our family doesn't run from things. You're the best of all of us, Mom. You're on your way. Keep going. When do I know I'm Spider-Man? You won't. That's all it is, Miles. A leap of faith. Like, what's up, danger? Like, what's up, danger? Welcome to the Superhero Cinephiles Podcast. I am half of your host, Perry Constantine. And as always, I am the other half, Derek Ferguson. How you doing today, Derek? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing fine. Today was a beautiful day in Brooklyn. Sunshine, mild, uh, uh, early autumn temperatures. Patricia and I managed to get out, catch some sun, ride around, do some errands. Mm -hmm. So in the words of the uh, disgraced Ice Cube, today was a good day. 
Good, good. Um, <clears throat> so it looks like there's a, a pretty good th stuff going on over here. We're actually looking at, a, we got an appointment to look at some new places on um, on Monday. So um, so yeah, we're, uh, we're hopefully going to be moving into a little bit of a bigger place. So the nice thing about that is I'll actually get my own office instead of having to, to split it with um, with my wife in our bedroom. <laughs> Uh, always a good thing. It's a, you know what I have found that the basis of any good marriage is that she has her space where she can mm -hmm. go to, and you can have your space. Yeah, you can go to. It's not good to be on top of each other constantly. I know I Patricia and I we have a lot of friends that well we don't have them anymore because we got rid of them. Uh, <laughs> no, seriously, we did because you know they found it very unusual that when we're home. Patricia and I really don't spend a lot of time together when we're home. Mm -hmm. You know, like usually I'm downstairs either writing or reading or doing what I'm doing. And then we'll get together to have lunch. And then she goes back in her room. I go back downstairs. And then in the evening we have dinner and we watch a movie or a show together and everything like that. But what it is is that we're not constantly up under each other all day long. Yeah, yeah. We we have we got a similar arrangement, even though we've got uh, limited space. Like um, when I'm, uh, well, I mean, you know, because my work schedule is erratic. Sometimes I work in the morning, sometimes I work in the afternoon, sometimes I work at night. Um, so like I actually do have downtime during the day when she's not here. So I got I got basically the whole place to myself. Um, and then um, and if I'm working at night when she's home, then you know obviously she's got the TV all to herself and that stuff. And then, you know, usually about like eight or nine o'clock, she goes into the bedroom and, you know, plays on her phone or, you know, or, or goes to sleep early. And then I got the time to use the TV for her to just sit there and, and read comics or whatever in the main room all I want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, when you, well, I don't know about anybody else, but this is how our marriage works. And this is why it's lasted 30 plus years mm. is that, you know, you have that, stage where yeah you're like teenagers you want to do everything together and you want right. to be together and do everything together and everything but then after a while you realize it's healthy to develop your own separate interests yeah yeah absolutely and, and you know be able to go do your separate interests and then come back together again as a couple mm -hmm. because now you've genuinely missed each other because you've been away doing you know like me i've i've been off in the wild west or you know in 1930s you know whatever or mm -hmm some crazy place in my head and it's good for me now i come back to share reality with her yeah 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 you know we I do mean? that yeah exactly we do that too and also i drive her most days i'll drive her to work and pick her up too so we get we spend, spend time talking in the car together on the way home and the way to work and that kind of stuff and um and and yeah when we're home like you know we all pretty much always eat dinner together and you know we watch like a, a tv show or a movie or something and then she goes off does her thing and i do my thing yeah yeah Exactly. And, you know, uh, me, I find it weird couples that have to be up under each other all the time. But like I said, everybody works out their own marriage or relationship the way that it works for them. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. Like I could not, I would not be able to be in a relationship with someone like that who wanted to do everything together. I, I oh, lose my no. freaking mind. Oh no, no, yeah, yeah, no. That I mean, that it, that would result in uh, you know a murder suicide at the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. I mean, really, I like. Don't you have something to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <You know>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
So, and um, anyway, let's see. What else is new going on? Oh, ties into today. Apparently, did you hear the rumor about uh, the latest rumor about Spider-Man 3? Uh, what, there's another rumor? There's another rumor that, well, it's been talked about for a while, but now it looks like it might be getting closer to happening. And this thing we, is getting hot. It's like almost every day. Yeah. Almost every day now there's a new rumor going. Well, because we got the announcement earlier that um, you know, Jamie Foxx would be back to playing Electro, and then that uh Benedict Cumberbatch would be cameoing as Doctor Strange in the third Spider-Man movie. That was the last one I heard. Yeah. Right. And so we were speculating, you know, in our last episode, you know, maybe this means that they're gonna be doing a Spider-Verse movie. And now it looks like they're going to get um, the latest rumor is that Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are likely to come back and to, to come back as Peter Parker in the third Spider-Man movie. You know what? I, you know, I kind of like that because I don't know, maybe it's just me. I find it kind of weird that Dr. Strange would take over the mentor role that Tony Stark had mm -hmm. in yeah. the MCU that, you know, cause Peter Parker, is basically a technologically orientated guy, mm -hmm. you know. And if it was somebody else that was going to mentor him, I could even see somebody like Bruce Banner or somebody, you know. That Banner, I could definitely see, especially the MCU's version of Banner. Yeah, you know, like some kind of you know technological background. Doctor Strange is, uh, it's a uh, weird, but if it's just for this movie, yeah, of course I'm, you know. I can go for it. You know. That's why I, that's why I think it lends more credence to the Spider-Verse idea because it would it, you're right, in a normal setting it wouldn't make much sense for uh Doctor Strange to be mentoring Peter Parker, but if you're looking at it and he's mentoring Peter Parker because he's got to help him figure out the multiverse, that makes more sense. Exactly, right. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you know, listen. And, um, you know me, you know me, I am a wait and see type of guy because mm -hmm. like you said, we hear these rumors now, these rumors are coming fast and hot and heavy right. and, and, and there, and there's a lot of people out there in the internet that have nothing to, better to do with their time all day long than come up with these. Oh, I mean, rumors. that's, that's what, that's a, we got this covered entire business model. Oh, please. I, I had to tell my wife I, because she was posting links to it. And I said, could you stop doing that? I said, those guys wouldn't know if water was wet. Yeah. I wouldn't believe them. Yeah. And um, so uh, Sony has uh, has released a statement. They said it's not confirmed, but they wouldn't say anything more than that. So it's not an outright denial, but it just means that they're pro they if it is going to happen, they're 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 talking about it. Well, they're being cautious, and until yeah. somebody is actually signed on the dotted line, mm -hmm. but I mean, we are still in the middle of a pandemic, and right. you know, I'm I'm sure that that factors into how they're going to proceed. You know what, folks? Movie goes. If they do a live action uh, Spider Verse, like my whole thing is the one casting. You know what casting I definitely would you got to have in there for me? Who's that? Is um, Emma Stone as Spider Gwen? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. 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 No and, other way to get no And I was thinking to... about this last night, too, because, you know, a bunch of our old uh, buddies from uh, our fanfic days, they started up a, a Discord server. So been catching up with a bunch of old people and talking comics and movies and that stuff on there. And um, and we were talking about this idea, this um, Spider-Verse, live-action Spider-Verse movie last night, and it got me thinking. Do you remember who played Flash Thompson in the first Spider-Man movie? Was it Chris Pine? 
No, not Chris Pine. It was uh, Joe Man Manganiello. You know, he played um, Deathstroke in the cameo at the end of uh, Justice League. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. Now, no, I'm think, yeah, I was thinking about something completely else. Excuse me. Okay, Manganiello. That's you. how Manganiello. That's how it's pronounced. Right, that guy. Okay. Terrible names. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So he played Flash Thompson in the original uh, Spider-Man movie. And you know what I think would be cool to see is you remember in the comics when um, Tom Flash was working for the government and they gave him the Venom symbiote. You give yeah. you have him play that version of Flash when he's merged with Venom. I think that would be badass. Yeah, he they was Agent Venom, right? That's what they right. call yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I that would be like that'd be another thing that would never probably never happen, but it's something I'd love to see. Because they established in the last Spider-Man movie that, uh, um, what is it, the uh, J. Jonah Jameson version mm -hmm. from the Sony movies is in the MCU. Well, it's not the same, ver it's just the same, it's the same actor, but it's not the same character. Because this time, uh, the Daily Bugle in, um, in the MCU is like uh, an InfoWars style internet channel. Yeah, because so as a matter of fact, I saw it when... Um, it, in preparation for watching this movie, I watched this and I also watched that Spider-Man Far From Home because I, mm -hmm. you know, I hadn't seen that. And, you know, that was like, you know, uh, uh, the little teaser at the end of the thing. I yeah. Said, oh, shit. J. Jonah Jameson. Man, I, because I, I saw, um, did I see Far? I don't know. I didn't see, I saw Far From Home here in Japan, I think. But um, when I saw that, when I, they had a, uh, J.K. Simmons up there as J. Jonah Jameson on that big screen TV in Times Square. I'm, I lost my shit. Oh, yeah. Because they yeah, kept I, a good lid on that. They sure did, because I didn't hear anything about it. And I said, oh, my God. I said, man, that cat. Because to me, when you want to talk about perfect casting, mm -hmm. I honestly can't. The only other character, the only other person that I could have seen playing that role would have been Stan Lee himself. Yes, yeah. Because I always got the impression that that J. Jonah Jameson was like uh, um, Stan Lee poking fun at himself. I could definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, making him into an InfoWars style guy, that was just genius. I absolutely love that. But yeah, that cameo, I... That was a, I have to admit, like I, like I said, in which I will no doubt get into in here before people be you know because during the course of this episode i'm sure people will be demanding that you get a new co-host uh, <laughs> but uh that was a spider-man movie that i enjoyed matter of fact i enjoyed far from home more than the previous one yeah i liked it a lot too i thought it was i think, was I, homecoming. I think I, yeah homecoming yeah i think i enjoyed it more than more than homecoming as well yeah i didn't care for home homecoming was yeah okay. i like i loved homecoming but i i do agree that far from home was better Homecoming, you know what? Okay, I'm sitting there watching Homecoming, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm watching it, and I'm watching all of these great scenes with Michael Keaton as the vulture sca scavenging alien technology mm -hmm. to pull off crimes and <clears throat> do mercenary shit and whatnot. And you got uh, S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, is warning him off and everything. And I'm sitting there saying, okay, that's the movie I want to see. Yeah, that that yeah you're right there is a lot of potential in that and just like the yeah. way they reinvented vulture like that was amazing oh, yeah, exactly that's what i'm saying I'm, I'm sitting there saying you know and of course it's michael keaton which was mm -hmm. brilliant you know and i'm saying okay and then we find out that he's a family guy you know 
He's this crazy supervillain, not even a crazy supervillain, who has one of the best motivations to be a supervillain. Yeah. You know, and and I just dig the idea that he's going all over the country scavenging all this alien technology that's been left around mm-hmm. and building all it. And, you know, uh, he's retrofitting it and, and doing all this crazy stuff with it. And S.H.I.E.L.D. is out there. They kind of know what he's doing. Okay, well, if they know what he's doing, why aren't they shutting him down and they got to deal with him going on the side. And I'm sitting there saying, you know what? That's the movie I really want to see. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do love Homecoming, but you're right. I would love to see that movie too. And, you know, in, in another world, like if um, I could have seen that being a plot of like Iron Man 4. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, well, I mean, you know, the vulture's still there. He's still, you know, they didn't kill him off. He's still out. He's still alive. So uh, who knows? Yeah. All right. So anyway, uh, but that's a, a good segue into what we're talking about today, which is uh, Into the Spider-Verse, which was yep. my pick. And um, this movie, God, this movie made all the money and it <laughs> made everybody happy. I do not know one person who had a bad thing to say about this movie. This movie made so much money. God came to Disney Marvel for a loan. <laughs> can you spare? Can you spare some change? <laughs> That's how much. I mean, you you know, you wouldn't think that it would be possible for a movie to make that much money. No, no. I mean, you it really? made ninety million dollar budget, three hundred and seventy five point five million on an animated movie. That's huge. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about an animated movie, not a live. Mm. If it was a live action one, I could say, okay, yeah, yeah. But an animated movie making that much money, that meant that not only a shitload of people went to see it, but a shitload of people went back to see it and brought somebody else with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they didn't pay for their ticket, that person paid for their ticket. Yeah. I remember I had to wait to see this because um, it wasn't out in theaters here in Japan at first. And everybody was talking about it in the West. And when it did come out to theaters here, um it was already uh it was only in a dubbed version because it's animated movie so it's mostly considered to be for kids so they didn't have a subtitled version so you couldn't see it with the original audio in the theater and so then i had to wait until it came onto itunes so then when i finally saw it on itunes man it even with all the hype because i was nervous because you know how when something gets hyped up and everyone's telling you for months how amazing it is you finally watch it and you're like eh it's not that it's okay but it's not as good as everyone said exactly this was not the case right even after months of hearing people hype this up it still blew me away yeah and i and you know as i told you uh you know i'm not that much of a spider-man fan so i really had zero interest in seeing this and especially after all the hype that I heard from people. And I said, well, of course, Spider-Man fans, you know, they don't care, you know, they, mm-hmm. they're hyped. But then I talked to other people who really weren't into superhero movies, who really weren't into Spider-Man, who really weren't into animated movies. Mm-hmm. And like, they had taken like their nephew or, you know, they went with some kids on like some trip or something like that and saw it. And they flipped over it. Yeah. So now I said, okay, now I got to pay attention because people that I know who have no connection to this stuff at all are telling me how mm-hmm. fantastic this movie is. Sat down for Netflix and watched it. And I said, you know what? This is the spider. If I had seen this movie at the right age when I was 12 years old, I would probably be wearing a Spider-Man t-shirt right now instead of a Captain America one. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So um, now the genesis of this, it goes all the way back to the um, uh, around like 2008, 2009 or so when they were um, uh, they were talking about, you know, Sony wanted to reboot the Spider-Man movies and someone, I think it was Mark Bernardin wrote an article saying like, there's no reason Peter Parker can't be black. And he was saying, you know, he grew up in a working class neighborhood in Queens. You know, his parents are dead. He's just being raised by his aunt. He's like, that's a that's a story that could easily apply to to a black kid as well as a white kid. And like anything, whenever you talk about race and comic book characters, it broke the Internet in half. (laughs) But but then there were there was talk like because Donald Glover, who was in um, uh, in community at the time he was expressing interest. He's like, look, I love Spider-Man. I love comic books. I would love to be able to play Peter Parker in a movie. And, and so that started this whole campaign where people like, you know, they should cast Donald Glover as Spider-Man. And then um, Marvel and Brian Bendis were looking at this. And at the time they were planning this, um, this big crossover in their ultimate comic book universe called Ultimatum. And they had an opportunity to do something big and they thought, well, you know what? We've already got Peter Parker in the main universe. Why don't we kill him in the ultimate universe and replace him with this, with this young black kid. And that's how uh, Miles Morales was created. And he came in and, you know, huge positive reception. Everybody loved the guy. And then after that, he eventually ended up coming. He was one of the few things from the ultimate universe that ended up making up the, over, the jump over to the, to the main universe. And, and then eventually, you know, he ends up in, into the spider verse and becomes the main character in this movie. And, and you know what, I'm glad you touched upon that because as you well know, that's one of the bugaboos that I, I have. And I think that's the main reason why I fell in love with this movie so much is because of Miles Morales. And Mm -hmm. here's why. When people talk about, okay, first of all, let me just say flat out folks and Perry, this is where you may have to find a new (laughs) co-host. I am not, I am not a fan at all of race switching. Mm -hmm. I do not go for this thing where, well, let's make Batman black or let's make Mm -hmm. Superman black or let's make you better. I don't go for it because there are plenty of black heroes out there who were created as black heroes, who if work, if, if work and time and energy and attention from comic book fans who pride themselves up the wazoo mm-hmm. that they are so woke and they love diversity and all of this other BS that they love to espouse, if they supported those characters, yes, they would be as popular as Superman and Batman and whatever. Now, that is not to say that Batman can't be black. Of course, Batman can't be black. Mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne can't be black, though. Right. Create a new character, a black <clears throat> one, who, you know, for whatever reason, takes over being Batman. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Superman. Yes, you can't have a black Superman. He just can't be Kal El for Krypton. He in fact, they do own... have a they do have a black Superman in um, right. uh, the Earth Two. They've got uh, the new when DC did the New Fifty Two, they had uh, an Earth Two book with the the basically the, uh, the that version of the Justice Society, and they had um, a black Superman. Um, double checking on his name. Uh, well, they did too. They did. Um, there's one character. There was um, 
uh, Calvin Ellis, who was kind of like, uh, this was from an, an alternate universe Superman where um, all the like Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, all of them were black. And Calvin Ellis was basically president of the United States and looked suspiciously like um, another black president that we may have heard of before. Uh, yeah, suspiciously. But again, they created a new character. In my mind, okay, you of course you can have a different Spider-Man. You have as many guys calling Spider-Man as you want. What I object to strenuously is that you just give Peter Parker a deep, darn tan and say, okay, well, now Peter Parker's black. Yeah. No, Peter Parker is his own character. Let him have his own character and his own identity. And you create another person who, who, who inherits the role of Spider-Man and let us see him as he becomes Spider-Man, same way we saw Peter Parker. And that's what they did in this movie. They yeah. gave you this... African-American Latino kid who has a whole totally different vibe from Peter Parker because he has a family, first of all. You know, he lives, you know, in our time now. Peter Parker, you know, um, was a product of the 1960s, really, you know. But you have this character who has interests and thoughts of a young man of today. Yeah. And we so, see um, him enter... We also, just as a we, oh, go ahead. I uh, just wanted to quickly mention that the other guy that I was thinking about, the Black Superman, is uh, Val Zod was his name. Uh, he was in the Earth Two comic books. That sounds game. familiar. Yeah, yeah. So just wanted to throw that out there. Anyway, sorry to interrupt your your. No, 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 no. You please interrupt me because I was pontificating. <laughs> but basically, basically, all I'm just all I'm just saying is that yeah, you can have a black like when they did like okay, Iron Man. Jim Rhodes, he took the he took the suit for a while. And right. He was Iron Man. Or Green and Lantern, you had uh, John Stewart. Right. You, you didn't make Hal Jordan. You didn't just wake up one day and say, "Okay, bam, Hal Jordan is black now." Mm -hmm. yeah, no, they created John Stewart, who ultimately, uh, and I think probably became way more popular than Hal Jordan. Him oh, and I, Kyle I think Rayner. yeah, I think that's definitely the case. I mean, you have, um, and I remember, I think it was. Pretty sure Neil Adams was the one who was uh, he was complaining about this when they did um, uh, when they cast Ryan Reynolds as ha uh, Hal Jordan. He said, "You've had a generation of kids that grew up watching Justice League on TV with John Stewart as Green Lantern. So why now that you're making a Green Lantern movie, would you not make it about John Stewart?" Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly my point. You have a whole you have a whole generation that for them. You say Green Lantern, they say, oh, yeah, John Stewart. They don't mm -hmm. say Hal Jordan. You know, Hal yeah. Jordan is like old timers like me that go back and that's, oh, oh, or or even going back even further, Alan Stewart. Yeah. Which is why um, one reason that I like this idea that they say that HBO Max is going to be doing a Green Lantern series mm -hmm. and they're going to be focusing on all the different Green Lanterns. It's not going to be about just one. Yeah, I think um, Kyle Rayner, or not Kyle Rayner, um, Guy Gardner is going to be like the the main star, but they're going to have a lot of, but it is going to be more of an ensemble cast. Yeah, which is the beauty of that concept. I mean, the Green Lantern concept, because you can have anybody be a Green Lantern as long as they get a Green Lantern ring and they're Green Lantern. Yeah, yeah. So I'm looking you know. here. Um, here are all the characters, speaking of, the, all the characters confirmed for the Green Lantern core series. It's 
there's Alan Scott is going to be in it. Uh, Jessica Cruz, who's um, a newer Green Lantern. Simon Why Bass, also. Alan a, Stewart? Huh? Oh, because you were Stewart? you were thinking of um, John Stewart. Oh, okay. So you just kind of mixed them up that way. <clears throat> yeah, Freudian thing. Okay. Yeah, I, I do that all the time. Uh, so Jessica Cruz, Alan Scott, Simon Baz, um, Guy Gardner, uh, Sinestro, Kilowog, and uh, looks like my boy Kyle's not on there. I don't know why. Really? I'm surprised yeah. because I think that right behind... I find that if you talk to a comic book fan of a certain age, you're either going to get Kyle Rayner or Jon Stewart. That's what Oh, definitely. Say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People from my generation, I mean, like Kyle Rayner was our Green Lantern. Right. Exactly. Every, you know what? Every generation has its own Green Lantern, which is how it should be, just right. like every generation deserves its own Spider-Man. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Which is I one mean, reason why I enjoyed this movie so much, because, yeah, this doesn't take away from the Spider-Man that I grew up with. You know, he's still there, but this is a new Spider-Man for a new generation, which is how it should be. Yeah. These characters should be reinvented and reinterpreted for new generations that come along. And the nice thing about, oh, well, first, before I get into that, I wanted to, because you were talking about how you don't like the, the race switching of characters. Um, so what did you feel about Samuel L. Jackson as Nick Fury? That didn't bother me. Okay. That, no, I didn't, it didn't bother me because it was clearly stated, this is the Nick Fury of another universe. Okay. So in another universe, you know, the Ultimate universe, mm -hmm. there's no reason. And also, since I knew there was going to be like, you know, the whole MCU thing and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Well, see, that's the movies. That's a separate, that's a separate thing. Okay. You know, so it really didn't bother me at all that because, you know, Marvel has done jerked around uh, the Nick Fury character so much anyway that I lost interest in him, period. <laughs> but no, but, you know, if you say to me, okay, this is Nick Fury, but he's Nick Fury from an alternate world, a different dimension or whatever. Oh, okay. Well, then there's no reason why he couldn't be, you know, female, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, like a female Nick Fury. Yeah. I mean, what I object to is when you take the core character. Okay. Again, like if you take like Bruce Wayne mm -hmm. and you say, okay, well, bam, now Bruce Wayne is black. Well, you're invalidating 60 years of that character's history now mm -hmm. by saying that he's black. And now if they say he was Eskimo, if he said he was, that's why I like the idea of when they briefly did the Batman Incorporated thing. Yeah. Where Bruce Wayne was pretty much franchising out the mm -hmm. Batman identity to guys all over the world. Right. And that's how we actually got a, we got a black Batman. We got a Batwing out of that. Exactly. So now you could have, okay, say you want to do, okay, let's do a Mexican Batman. Mm -hmm. Okay. You got one. There's a Mexican guy goes to Bruce Wayne and said, listen, I want to be Batman in Mexico. Fine. Here's your union card. Mm -hmm. Here's your suit. Here's the instruction book. Bah. <laughs> you know, but to me, that's how you do it. You create a new character and give that character their own history, their own life, their own supporting cast. You build that character from the ground up. To me, it is the height of laziness mm -hmm. when you have a character that has been established for all of these years. And really all you're doing is that you're just capitalizing on the popularity of that character as it is. Right. To me, really, that's all you're doing. Yeah. When you just say, okay, well, now they're so-and-so. Well, wait a minute. 
how did they get that way? Did they just wake up? With, well, we're just going to forget everything, you know, that happened to this character before. Instead of doing the work, like I said, that Bendis did, making Miles Morales his own character. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and to me, that's how you do it. And I know a lot of people probably listen to this are, you know, every time they hear the name Bendis, they, they start, they start feeling, um, they start feeling their lunch come up, but you know what? I got to, the guy's done some stuff. I absolutely hate. I will never in my life understand what Marvel was thinking when they gave him the Avengers and gave it to him for so long, but he's done some good stuff. Like his Spider-Man work, his ultimate Spider-Man work was really great. His, and the stuff he did with Miles Morales, you know, perfect, perfect yeah. setup for the character, amazing work developing him, building up his world and all that. And yeah, I, you know, I got nothing for praise for him for, for Miles Morales and also some other stuff like Jessica Jones as well. He's responsible for that. Yeah. Jessica Jones. Yeah. You know, he, you know what? Yeah. You know what? I'm not his biggest fan in the world, but you know what? Say what you want about the guy. The guy sure as shit ain't lazy. No, definitely not. He do, he do, he puts in the work. He just doesn't take a character and say, okay, bam, now they're black. Yeah. No, he doesn't do that. He puts in the work. And we're talking about work of years. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and this was, um, he's a unique Spider-Man, right? He, they didn't just basically take Peter Parker's basic background and just slap it on to Miles Morales, right? I mean, he's got uh, a unique backstory, a unique upbringing. He's got, you know, his parents are both still alive. He's got a Puerto Rican mother, a black father who's a policeman. He's got this um, ne'er-do-well uncle who he kind of looks up to. He's a, he gets into this, um, this charter school through a lottery system. So it's a very different kind of um, world from the one Peter Parker comes from, even though they're both in New York. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I'm talking about. This is a brand new character mm -hmm. that we have with a whole different dynamic. Okay, you take Peter Parker and you wake up one morning and you say, okay, well, he's black. Okay, but what has fundamentally changed about the character that we knew? Mm -hmm. That's like the same thing as, you know, you, you know, I don't know. I can't even come up with an appropriate metaphor without resorting to profanity for how, <laughs> no, really, because I find it offensive when people, and black people are guilty of this too. They say, oh, why don't you make James Bond black? Right. No, you don't make James Bond. Well, why can't James Bond be black? James Bond can't be black because he's James Bond. Yeah. If you want a British black super spy, then create a black British super spy. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and I don't know. I it's a subject I realize that it's just me, folks. And you know, you just have to realize that that's just a that's just me. I know a lot of people don't see it as being a big thing where they say, well, this is necessary in order for uh, you know, the character to grow and develop and everything. No, it's not. It's just you just wanted to slap a fresh coat of paint and mm -hmm. sand off the serial numbers and claim it's brand new. Right, you're hijacking right. a car is what you're doing. You're, you're committing grand theft auto. Mm -hmm. <laughs> really, that's all you're doing. Yeah. Instead of you going in the garage and building yourself a brand new car, you're just stealing an old car, giving a new coat of paint, you know, filing off the numbers, and mm -hmm. then presenting it to the world. You take it out to the showroom. Oh, here you go. I got a brand new car. No, you don't. Yeah. You have a car that you stole. Right, exactly. 
no, you make some really good points there. And like, I think there are, I don't, um, I don't mind it as much if they, you know, if they cast, um, if they change a character's ethnicity when they're adapting it to a movie or whatnot, especially if it, that ethnicity is not integral to that character. Like you said, with, with Bruce Wayne, that's a prime example, right? You can't have Bruce Wayne coming from generations of money as a black man in America, unless you completely change around if you set in a completely alternate version of American history. Right. You've got, there is a whole other dynamic that goes along with Bruce Wayne being black. If he's but, black. And yet, yet there is no reason why Bruce Wayne can't be black, but you just can't just erase everything we know about the character. You have to build him up from the ground up. And if you're going to do that, mm-hmm. then why not go the extra two or three steps and just create a brand new character? Yeah. Yeah. He takes over being Batman. That's it's not that hard. Right. It really isn't. If you if you call yourself a writer and if you have sufficient talent and imagination and are willing to just put your butt down in the seat and do the work, you can do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh so let's jump into the into the movie now. Um, I will be submitting my resignation at the end of this episode. <laughs> no, no, no. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> uh, all right. So anyway, but I, so first off, the movie, I love the opening of the movie, right? It opens up with Chris Pine as Peter Parker and, you know, saying like, I'm the one, the only Spider-Man. And he talks and like all the merchandising stuff he's done. Right? Uh-huh. Like he's got his own cereal. He did his own Christmas album. Oh. And, <laughs> I want that Christmas album. <laughs> I think that they might sell it. I think they have it because they had some of the tracks playing over the credits. So and in fact, one of the songs it ends with like, I don't know why I agreed to do this. <laughs> <laughs> and and also, but also they have all these things from the spider from the, the Raimi movies, right? They've got like the, the iconic kiss and all that. They've got um uh, and they even got the dance scene from Spider-Man Three. Oh yeah, they've got that. They got the they got the original Spider-Man logo from the 1960s cartoon. Yeah, yeah. And they and they said, you know, he's like, I got an awesome theme song, and they spell and they play the original Spider-Man theme song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. Oh, that it was. It was so much fun. Just like just watching that alone, right? As soon as you see that, you know you're in that from that opening. It just grabs you, and it doesn't let. Yeah, go. it sets the whole tone. I yeah. mean, you know, for the movie, like you said, if that opening doesn't grab you, then, you know, turn it off and I don't know, go watch, I don't know, The Dark Knight Returns. I mean, if you're not laughing and just having a good time as you watch that, as you watch that intro, I'm sorry, but you got to get a sense of humor. Because yeah. you, because, you know, I, you got to find out who took the fun out of your life because that is just, it just totally sets the perfect tone. It tells you exactly what you're going to get from this movie. And it's just... So well done, so brilliant. And this is one of the most, how can I put this? This is one of the most super heroic superhero movies I've seen Mm -hmm. in recent years. It's just, it's just pure superhero shit. It really is. You know, it doesn't slow down for a minute to explain a damn thing in this movie, but you don't care, you know, because really, okay, it's the thing that most of the concepts that are in this movie. If this movie had been made like 20 years ago, they would have stopped the movie in its tracks every couple oh, of minutes hell to yeah. something. Yeah. Well, they this movie would never even gotten made 20 years ago. I mean, you know, the producers would be like, what? You're gonna have how many Spider-Man characters in this movie? No, you can't do that. You can't have alternate realities. People aren't gonna understand that. Right. But, right. but they just went full on with this and they're like, and Sony's like, go for it, do it. 
Well, see, now we've got a generation that's a lot more hip. You've mm -hmm. got people that grew up watching what? Uh, what was that show? Sliders. Sliders, yeah. So if, so, so if you've seen Sliders, you're familiar with the concept of alternate worlds and, yeah. and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. So this movie, you know, treats his audience, says, okay, the people that's watching this are smart, hip. They've got 20 to 30 years of pop culture behind them. So they're going to get all of this stuff. Yeah. So we can just concentrate on just pure story, which is what they do. And more recently, right? I mean, story. you had um, the Flash TV show, which introduced the concept of the multiverse in uh, live action superhero stories, which at the time, I remember when they had that, um, when they had that, the end of the Flash's first season, and you see Jay Garrick's helmet there, and you're like, oh, oh the, the multiverse exists, right? And then oh, freaked, when they had, freaked out. when they announced, and I thought that was just going to be it. Right, it was just gonna be that little teaser, and they were never gonna to touch it. But then they announced, "Yeah, season two, we're going into the multiverse." Like, I never thought I would see that on on a TV show. Well, like we said in our episode, did we ever think that we were going to see Crisis on Infinite Earths? Hell no. Yeah, on TV, no less. Live action TV. Yeah. Yeah, live action. Yeah, yeah, on a live action weekly TV show, even. Yeah. No, but again, that just shows you how mainstream superheroes are now that, yeah, they say, you know what? We don't have to explain none of this shit to these people. They'll get it. Yeah, come a long way from the days of uh, Nicholas Hammond's rope webbing. Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs> I was hoping that they would have given him like a voice in here or we would have seen- You know, I was going to say, like, if they have, um, if they do end up doing that, this live action Spider-Verse movie, dig up Nicholas Hammond, see what he's doing and have him come in as an old Peter Parker. He was in the last Quentin Tarantino movie, believe it or not. Really? He was? Yes, he was. He was in Once Upon a Time on Hollywood. He was, he was the director of the TV show that uh, the Leonardo DiCaprio uh, character oh, was trying yeah. to get on. Yeah. Yeah, and that was, that was Nicholas Hammond. Wow. Yeah, I'm just looking him up, looking up his picture now. He looks like a, he looks just like a TV anchor. <laughs> yeah, look at his picture. He looks like a guy who should be anchoring the nightly news or something. Yeah, I'm trying to think because the the director that he's playing is one that was fairly well known back in the '60s. But he was, but you know, he wasn't just playing like just some director. He was actually playing like a character, uh, a guy that really lived, a mm -hmm. real life a director of westerns and TV shows back then. If I recall, but yeah, that was Nicholas Hammond, and I didn't realize that that was him until I got home and I wrote my review mm. of the movie. I said, "Wait a minute, Nicholas Hammond? Is that the Nicholas Hammond?" And I said, "Oh shit!" And of course, now I got to go out and buy the Blu-ray so I can look mm. at it just for that scene again. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> which I probably did. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that'd be cool. Bring him back and bring um uh, the Japanese Spider-Man too, as as well. Uh, I'm trying to remember the guy, the actor's name for that, because he was awesome. The the guy who did that. Um, uh, I've never seen it, but see, again, we see that yeah, that they did fool around with other Spider Men. Oh, you know, he did. That was movie. yeah. Shinji Toto was his name. Um, okay. It was. It's so over the top, right? It's it's like. You know when you think of like um, the the Japanese superhero TV shows, right? Like the Power Ranger, the stuff that came that Power Rangers came from. It, right. It started with Spider Man. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> and so it's like all like Spider-Man's got a uh, he's it's got nothing to the only thing in, in, in he has in common with the Marvel character is the costume. Everything else is different, right? He's like um the the guy who becomes Spider-Man. He ends up getting his powers from an alien from the planet Spider. He has his own spaceship, he has uh he has his own giant robot and he identifies himself as the emissary of hell. <laughs> So I'm guessing that this character was the inf- was the inspiration for uh, the Japanese girl in this one, Genji, the one who's got the spider robot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. She was she was partly yeah. Well, I mean that was inspired by anime in general as well too, right? Oh, the okay. idea of you know you got this little girl who's riding around in a giant uh, in a giant mech and all that kind of stuff. So that yeah, that's like but, very anime. Well, all of that also it comes from the the Spider Verse comic book that uh, Dan Slott did. So he created, I'm pretty sure he created a lot of these characters. Because again, now see, I would see a movie with her, with just her. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I know, she was created by Gerard Way. Because it cracked me up in that scene where they're sneaking into the banquet hall where the kingpin is giving this speech. And she's up underneath the table. And they show a, a cutaway view of her. She's munching on candy and popcorn <laughs> in the robot. And she, she's driving the robot. And she's all scrunched up inside this, this spider robot. She's driving. I said, oh, my God. That's fantastic. There's <laughs> um there's a Spider-Verse comic. Um, it's like Edge of Spider-Verse. So if you ever find that, um, you know, and you find it on Comixology, like everything. But Edge of Spider-Verse, I'm pretty sure it's all collected in a in a trade. And they've got, like stories with the origins of like Penny Parker, um, Spider-Gwen and all these other characters. So that's, if you're, if you want to know more about, about her and where she came to be, then that's something you, you might want to check out. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. That and, uh, um, the guy, play, oh man. Oh, <laughs> uh, what's his name? Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage as Spider-Man Noir. Uh, as Spider-Man Noir. Now see, again, I want to see a movie with this guy. This voiced character. By Nicholas, voiced yeah. by Nicolas Cage. You know what? If you're going to do Into the Spider-Verse in live action, get Nicolas Cage to play this character in live action. Oh, he was hilarious. Didn't have a lot to do, but what he did was totally off the chain. His intro was amazing, right? When they're like, we're like, they're they're like, why is it? How is his coat blowing? We're underground. We're in a basement. There's no wind in here. And why is he in black and white? And he's like, the wind follows me wherever I go, and it smells like rain. Yeah. And they look at each other and say, what? But I love it. And, and, and he's obsessed said, with the Rubik's cube. I said, I said, why is he in black and white? <laughs> I love that he's obsessed with the Rubik's cube. Oh, oh yeah, well, he takes it back with him. Yeah, he takes it back, and then the in the, in the credits you see him showing it off at like um at like a 1930 style um convention or whatever. Yeah, well, everything is still in black and white, yeah. black and white in his world, and that's the only thing of any color, you know. It's all oh, again, that's fantastic. But you know, and you also have you know Peter B. Parker, right, played by Jake Johnson, who's is it's they described him as um they. Lord and Miller envisioned him as uh, Mr. Miyagi from the Karate Kid if Mr. Miyagi didn't know anything. <laughs> well, you know, you know what? This character, I liked him a lot because, okay, he's a Peter Parker slash Spider-Man who's kind of let himself go to pot and kind mm-hmm. of allowed himself to be disillusioned a little bit. 
But in the course of the movie, as things go on, we see flashes and elements of the Spider-Man that he once was. Yeah. It's it's still there. He just hasn't been that man for a while. He's he's allowed himself to forgot the great lesson that, of course, all Spider-Men or women or pigs must learn. (laughs) With great power comes great responsibility. And you know what I really like about him is that he is such a realistic version of if someone had gone through all the crap that Spider-Man goes through. Yes. Because, you know, absolutely. how could, you know, obviously it, it makes so much, right? His marriage falls apart. He he has trouble holding down a job because he's always running off to be Spider-Man. His personal life is in shambles. And it's just like the weight of all of it finally gets to him. That is so realistic. And it's just, it. it it's amazing that Spider-Man in the comic books hasn't become this guy. Yeah, and what I like, you know, like I said, that he's just, you know, it's not like he doesn't turn into this alcoholic mess, which is what they usually do with characters. Right. Like, nah, he's just like, say, you know what, fuck it. Yeah, yeah. You know, basically that's his attitude. I mean, when we first meet him, mm-hmm. you know, you know, why am I knocking myself out for all this? Nothing I do makes a difference, you know? Yeah. So what am I doing? I'm just going to lay here and eat pizza and, you know, watch Jerry Springer. Mm, yeah which to me is a terribly realistic attitude for most superheroes to have you oh know? it is really. it's totally realistic it, it makes so much sense that he would uh he would be in he would be in this state um and also you know what i just got to say that i think it's great that they were able to get chris pine to come in just for this like one little short bit as as uh as the main universe spider-man <laughs> And oh wait a minute, but how much of a shock was it to you that you find? Because me, okay, I'm thinking that okay, this was the Spider-Man, mm-hmm. and then you find out, well, no, he's not the Spider. Wait a minute, he's got blonde hair. Yeah, yeah, I was surprised by that. It was, and that was a, that was also a nice little nod to uh, Ben Riley, who um, the Peter Parker's clone, who ends up dyeing his hair blonde to make himself look different and become Spider-Man as well. You know, that's who I thought it was. I didn't, that's who I did too, cause, yeah. Because I said, oh, well, this is all, I said, oh, okay, so now this is 616 Marvel Earth. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, Miles Earth 636 or whatever. Right. And, you know, the Peter B. Parker, who I found out that in, you know, actual Marvel continuity, that actually is his middle initial. Yeah, Peter Benjamin, Benjamin. Parker, yeah. Yeah, Benjamin Parker. So, and, and then if I, okay, that's our Spider-Man. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Now I see where they're going with this. I had to do a little, you know, double clutching mm-hmm. to kind of catch up. And I said, which is one thing that I like, because I don't like to be ahead of a movie. I like watching a movie that makes me play catch up. Yeah, yeah. You know. And also that my favorite character in the movie, it, Haley Steinfeld as uh, Gwen Stacy, uh, Spider-Woman. Like she is like, Ever since that character appeared in the comics, she's been a favorite of mine. And seeing her in this, and, you know, Haley Steinfeld does such an amazing job. She captures that character perfectly. The only one who could do better is Emma Stone. I wonder why they didn't get her. Well, she was, she's, she's busy all the time, so. I mean, they were able to get Chris Pine, so. And, and Mahershala Ali. Yeah, I mean they got they got a they got a, a lot, lot of people. I mean, Zoe Kravitz did uh, had that brief cameo as Mary Jane Watson. Pimiko Glenn now, was me, uh, Penny Parker. Now let me ask you something because you're more familiar with this mm-hmm. movie 
and I am. Uh, did um, uh, has Stan, okay? Was that actually Stanley's voice? Because they do have a pretty extended Stanley cameo in here. That was, was Stanley. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay. So that was his. That was his. Oh, that was his official last cameo. No, no, no. His official last cameo was in Captain Marvel. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, Captain Marvel was his official last cameo. Um, I'm I'm pretty sure anyway. Um, but yeah, but that was that was Stanley, and this movie came out shortly after he died, I believe. Oh, okay. Um, and they uh, uh oh, in that scene when um he's when uh, Miles comes in to buy the costume, and you know Stan says we were friends, right? That that killed me. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you don't choke up on that part, mm-hmm. you know, you just ain't got no heart. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. I'm saying when he said we were friends, it's oh man. <laughs> and also the line about how, I... and um, he said, and, you know, Miles asked him, you know, what if it doesn't fit? And he says, oh, it always fits eventually. And, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, so, and, sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, you know, like I said, I'm not crazy about Spider-Man, but you know what? I even I gotta admit, there are certain truths about Spider-Man that mm. are so simple yet profound. When I mean, you know, like for instance, when Stanley said, "Well, yeah, eventually the suit will fit." Yeah, you know, and you know what he means. You, you, right. You know, you have to grow into it. You have to, you know, find out what kind of Spider-Man you're gonna be. Yeah. You know, but it will fit and. That's a lot. That's something that you can apply to your real world life, mm-hmm. just like you know, um, with great power come great responsibility, which is a phrase that is quoted by you know heads of state without even knowing where it actually comes from. Yeah, yeah, you know, but it, but you want to talk about uh, um, a life affirming statement that you can use. Mm-hmm. in your life hey that's it yeah and something else about this movie like i am not really a fan of hip-hop music it just just there's some stuff i like but in general i'm just not really a fan but i love the music in this like it it fits so per- i i love it when they find music that fits the movie and even though i'm yeah. not a hip-hop fan i loved how well the hip-hop music fit this movie well, would you consider this to be a hip hop superhero movie? Oh, definitely, definitely. I, I, I think so. Yeah, yeah. It may be. It may be the first hip hop superhero movie. Yeah, you might be right. I, I, I having trouble arguing. Yeah, I think I'm having trouble thinking of anything else that might fit that bill. But yeah, I think definitely. Like, there's there's so much of like, at least what little I know of hip hop culture, you can see it reflected in this movie. Yeah, I mean, this is like. Oh man, this is like one of the most, okay, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say, this is probably the most comic book looking animated movie I've ever seen. You know what? I was thinking the exact same thing when I was watching, because last week we were talking about Hulk and how Ang Lee was trying to make it feel like a comic book come to life. This really does feel like a comic book come to life. It actually does. This is the closest that I have seen on screen, and I was watching this. As a matter of fact, I've seen this twice in preparation mm-hmm. for this because we were supposed to do this last week, and we didn't for reasons that are none of your business, folks. <laughs> and and I and I was watching it again, and that's what struck me as as how you look at it, and yet 
you know, and I'm pausing it and I say, yeah, that looks like a panel from a comic book. That looks like a panel from a comic book. Well, I mean, they it's, do those, the, the transitions that Ang Lee invented in, in Hulk, they do the same thing, right? The panel and panel, the moving panels and all that. The And then they enhance it, right? They've got the captions. They got the sound effects on yeah. screen. Yeah. They got pages flipping, right? It, yeah, they it, do. They, oh, go ahead. I, I just love I, I love it. I love the little sound effects, right? The the little caption boxes. Like when he gets the powers, he's like, why am I why am I hearing this voice in my head? Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the flip sound effect, right? The, when they're when they're swinging through, right? The, 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 you can see the flip coming each time. It's just so and, well. They took and, and you know somebody had to animate all those little things. That shows you how committed they were to this idea. You want to know how committed they were? In the scenes where they had the collider that's working and the energy, they had freaking Kirby dots. Yeah, yeah. They had the Kirby crackle. <laughs> oh my God. I, it, just, the note, just the thought that I would see Kirby crackle in an animated movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like you said, these people these people were committed. They weren't half-assing it with this thing. No, they were no, committed. no. You could tell this was made by people who love the comics. This was made by people... And you know what? I could feel the energy while yeah. I'm watching this one. It's like they say, you know something? We may not get another chance to do this again. Mm-hmm. So we're going to put everything into this one. Yes. Yeah. Just in case, just in case we don't get another chance to do this again. Mm-hmm. Because they did everything, they did everything right. As, yeah. far, as far as I know, with my limited knowledge of Spider-Man, they did everything right. Yeah. And I love how they worked in the the spray paint into Miles designing his own costume at the end. Like that was such yeah. a brilliant touch. And because that's not in the comics, right? In the comics, he gets the cost he gets his costume from Shield. Right. He's running around oh, uh, really? yeah, he's running around in the store-bought Spider-Man costume. And um because in, in the ultimate comic books, Nick Fury was kind of acting as sort of a mentor to Peter Parker, right? He had hoped that you know, one day Peter Parker, when he turned 18, he would be able to graduate into, into the Ultimates, which was that Eugene's version of the Avengers. And so he had kind of, he had devoted a lot of effort into, you know, keeping an eye out for, for Peter Parker. And so then when you got this, after Peter Parker died, and then you got this new kid running around as Spider-Man, Nick Fury wanted to know what the fuck's up. (laughs) So, so he goes, he sees the, and he sees that the kid is actually helping out and he's doing good and he's got he's got he's got the same you know sense of right and wrong that peter parker did so he says to him you know he gives him the he gives him a new costume which is the black and red costume we see and you know the web shooters and all that and basically tells him don't fuck it up (laughs) good a good motivational speaker that (laughs) and um but see in this you know they don't do that instead he gets he takes um uh Chris Pines Peter Parker one of his costumes and he spray paints it black and then spray paints his symbol on it which is you know it's a tying it back to the relationship he had with his uncle Aaron who and this is another thing that they they threw in there which was so right because he has his own story about losing his uncle but right. it's a very different kind of story yeah, than Peter Parker. yeah. and but all, but they do retain that whole that old Spider-Man curse, where if uh, if you want to be a supervillain, be friends with Peter Parker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> right? So we still have that here, where you know 
Miles' uh, first supervillain he faces off with is his own uncle. Yeah, but now that you mention it, yeah, that did not occur to me. But, but yeah, you're right. He he loses his uncle too, and that also, that's like the defining right. thing. You know, that's like the, you know, that's what makes Spider-Man Spider-Man. I guess you yeah. have to lose your uncle. But it, because you have to lose spider- someone. You have to lose someone. Right. Yeah, because the Spider-Gwen in her universe, she lost Peter. Right. Yeah. Yeah. She lost Peter. And um, um, you find out uh, Spider-Man nor he lost his uncle Benjamin uh, for Penny Parker. It was her father. And 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 yeah, all of the all the they all have their their own stories of loss, even Spider-Ham though we never find out what his is. <laughs> well, he's too busy explaining how he can float while he's, you know, when he smells pie. I love that they threw Spider Ham in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Voiced I mean, by John know, Mulaney. The audacity of the movie to just, you know, in all of this other seriousness going on and, mm. you know, goofiness and everything like that. It's like, okay, you think we can't get any more goofier? Okay, throw Spider Ham in there. Why, yeah. why the hell not? Yeah. <laughs> and, and then when they're out, when uh, his roommate sees them all on the ceiling and he goes, he's like, can animals talk in this dimension? Because I don't want to freak them out. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of which, by going back to all the, how bad as is it that they made Aunt May Alfred Pennyworth? I was going to mention that. This is my favorite version of Aunt May ever. <laughs> <laughs> Lily Tomlin voicing her. And she's just, I love that. They go to back and they go to the backyard and they go to the shed and he's and and Peter's like, oh yeah, we had this, you know, this small shed in the in the back where I kept all my Spider-Man gear. It's not that big, but then and she opens it up in this whole underground back cave, basically. <laughs> <laughs> With the Spider-Mobile. The Spider-Mobile, yeah, the spider buggy. Yeah, I love oh, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a whole back cave. Well, it's a spider cave. The spider you know, cave, okay. yeah, yeah. So apparently that universe's version of Spider-Man was also Batman as well. Yeah, yeah. He's got <laughs> all these vehicles, Aunt May's his Alfred. I loved that. That was so cool. Oh, that was... I said, you know what? This is the version of Aunt May that should be in every Spider-Man movie from now on. Yeah. And then when um, when Miles comes back and she's just sitting there sipping her tea and she's like, well, it took you long enough. <laughs> yeah, and I like how she takes everything in stride when yeah. she... You know, when, you know, they're on the lawn outside and she comes outside, okay, well, come on in. And, you know, Peter's saying, don't this freak you out? Well, you're from an alternate dimension, right? Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, come on in, you know. Yeah. Oh, what, you thought you was the only one that found your way here? I love when they do that stuff. When people aren't surprised by all the weirdness in, that's going on around them, they just accept it. I love it when they do that. Yeah, because you know what? You figure that after a certain amount of time when you have been exposed to this stuff, you stop being weirded out by it. You right. know, you just say, oh, okay. Because you know what? Even Miles figures it out after mm-hmm. a few minutes. He says, oh, okay, well, you're not Peter Parker from this dimension. Your hair is like this. You're doing this. You're blah, blah, blah. Oh, you must be from an alternate dimension. <laughs> yeah. And Peter says, wait a minute. That's not a guess. You figured that out? He said, well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, going back, okay. I'm going to go way back now. I'm going to jump in the way back machine for a minute. It was an episode of Better in the Dark that Tom and I did where we were speculating on that people who are in horror movies mm-hmm. live in a universe where there is no such thing as horror movies. Yeah. Because when they run across a dead body that has no blood and two bite marks in his neck, they 
you know, spend all this time trying to figure out what it is. And I said to Tom, well, me and you found out, we said, oh, shit, it's a vampire. Yeah, yeah. I'll go get the steak. You go get the holy water. We'll, you know, we'll catch this mother. But, you know, like people in like science fiction movies must live in a movie where there must live in a universe where there are no science fiction movies. Because oh, yeah. otherwise you wouldn't be freaked out by this stuff. You, you know what always kills me is, is zombie movies and TV shows. Like almost every single zombie movie or TV show, it exists in a world where nobody has ever heard of the concept of zombies. They, okay, the Walking Dead TV show, mm. they actually said that, they actually said that actually is the case. Yeah. That's why they, that's why they never called zombies in there because there was no George, George Romero never lived in that universe. Mm -hmm. There's no zombie movies. I guess so Haiti never existed in that universe too. <laughs> Huh? I guess Haiti never existed in that universe either. Yeah, well, that's a whole nother story. Oh, okay. But 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 all I'm just saying is that I'm glad that they acknowledge the fact that okay, this is a world just assume nobody's seen a heart. You know, there are no zombie movies. Yeah. So okay, so now I understand why people they see our animated corpse shuffling towards them, they don't immediately pick up a bat and bash his brains out. Oh, zombie. Bam. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, wonder, but that's the one, but that's the one thing I like about this movie that when they meet Aunt May, she's not matter of fact she's more touched than anything mm -hmm. seeing Peter you know back to life. Yes, yeah, and I I can the only, I think the only movie I can think of off the top of my head that where the characters actually knew what zombies were was Zombie Land. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the only one I can think of. That's the only one I could think of. Zombie land. This is on. Oh, zombies. Oh, give me a gun. Bam. Shoot him in the head. Okay. Next. Right. Now, uh, going back to, to this movie. Um, so I, I got a question for you because, um, yes, sir. you know, the characters, Miles Morales, you know, raised in Brooklyn. Now you being a Brooklyn guy yourself, did, um, did you, did that speak to you in any sort of different way? Did, is there anything you noticed about him? or about his upbringing or anything that, that struck you as quintessentially Brooklyn or, or anything like that? Um, not really, except for the fact that I grew up around a lot of kids that were black and Latino. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not, you know, uh, I realize that for some people that might seem like an incredibly exotic thing, mm -hmm. but uh, no, it's not. I mean, you know, when I was, like I said, when I was growing up, I went to elementary school with kids that were, you know, half black, half Latino. Mm -hmm. It's, it, it's by all means, it's not an unusual exotic thing as some people would make it out to be. Mm -hmm. um, I just took Miles as being from Brooklyn because now, of course, Brooklyn is the hip place to be. So everybody's from Brooklyn now. I mm -hmm. mean, they retconned uh, Steve Rogers because originally he came from Hell's Kitchen or something right. like that. Well, not, well, now he comes from Brooklyn. Yeah. You know, so uh, that's just how I took it to as a nod to, you know, Brooklyn, because, you know, this is a new, fresh, hip Spider-Man. Mm -hmm. So, of course, he's going to live in the place now that's new and fresh and hip. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. I, believe me. Listen, I come from a generation where. You, OK, once upon a time, you could not give a person a house in Brooklyn. They would not mm -hmm. take it. <laughs> they, well, they I mean, I was watching, 
before we started recording, I was watching, I told you I was watching uh, the Fear City documentary series on uh, on Netflix, which is all about yeah. the mob and in the 70s in New York and the 80s. And and yeah, they, they talk about Brooklyn a lot in there. No, believe me, Brooklyn was like, okay, you remember the movie Escape from New York? Yeah. That was Brooklyn. That, yeah. that, yeah, that actually was Brooklyn. And I'm not exaggerating, folks. And, and all the people now that listen to this that live back in Brooklyn in the 70s and 80s, they're nodding their heads too, mm. you know. Uh, so since we now have, a, but now, of course, Brooklyn is the new, fresh, hip, happening place where everybody and their brother wants to live here now. So, right. so I just thought that, yeah, it seems natural you have a new, fresh, hip Spider-Man. So he lives in a place that's new, fresh, and hip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh no, I was cool with that. I you know, I like listen, anytime I see Brooklyn gets mentioned in a movie or uh, you know, movie or TV show or anything like that, I'm in there. I say, good, cool. It's about time we got our due. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you who I did like in this movie a lot that, that you know they changed. And like I say, usually I'm not up for this type of, you know, uh race or even gender switching, mm -hmm. but I like the female Dr. Octopus a lot. Oh, okay, yeah. Um Olivia Octavius. Uh, played by Catherine Hahn. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, well, there was actually a female Dr. Octopus in the comics, but she was a successor. Okay. Well, like I said, this is like an alternate world version. Right. So, yeah, we go. But, I mean, I like, you know, she had the, okay, she had the arms, but they weren't like those archaic metal arms. They were, yeah. you know, I mean, she she had an upgrade. This is the Doctor Octopus that has got that is considerably upgraded. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, in the comics, it was uh, Carolyn Trainer was uh, Lady Octopus. They eventually started calling her, and she was uh, oh, one okay. of uh, Octavius's students. Oh, okay. And she took up the, his identity after one of the many times he died in the comics. But you know what? I like Dr. Octavius. It, it, Dr. Octavius is just like one of those super villains. I can't find it in me to hate because mm. he's so, he, you know, he's a fat man wearing glasses, a bad beetle haircut, and four <laughs> mechanical arms. And yet this guy had the guts to go out there and say that he could take over the world. Yeah, yeah. You have to admire that, <laughs> that confidence. <laughs> you have to. Yeah. Well, I love when she tells him, you know, uh, she says, you know, my name's Olivia Octavius. And then and then Peter's like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, because you know what? And as goofy as, as he's been, as go and again, okay, we go back to why we like this guy so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he's goofy, but you know what? He's not that goofy that he realizes that in any universe, Dr. Octopus presents a, a true menace. Yeah. And a true danger. He understands that, Yeah, you know? So he, so yeah, he's... He may be a little bit off of his game, but as we see, as the movie goes on further and further, he gets back to the Spider-Man that he once was. Yeah, yeah. And they also have um, uh, Lee Schreiber as uh, the Kingpin. Yeah, I was... There was one thing I liked about the Kingpin and one thing I didn't like about the Kingpin. Okay. Which one you want me to start with? Mm, dealer's Choice. Okay. Okay, I realize this is an animated movie and that, yeah, things are exaggerated, but I mean, come on. Oh, the size? How does this guy, how does this guy get through doors? You know what? I liked it because it's like Bill Sienkiewicz's Kingpin. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you. That's why I liked to, it. Yeah. I, I was trying to think where did I where have I seen this type of kingpin before? Because I thank you. Okay. Yeah, because you look at uh, kingpin and um, pretty sure it was an Electro assassin. Yeah. Ah. Damn. Okay. That's like that is the kingpin. That is Bill Sienkiewicz's kingpin. So uh, I've actually. I withdraw. I withdraw my uh, complaint. Yes, I yeah. do. Yeah, you so, have correct. You have corrected me, sir. Thank you. So, like, I initially had the same idea when, but then I, then I, um, then then I heard saw someone mention it, and then I looked it up, and I'm like, oh, okay. I, I now I see what they were doing. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. And now that you've explained what, okay, I get what they were doing. I go with it. Now, the thing that I liked about the kingpin, mm-hmm. he's got this collider that he can go to you know, alternate dimensions and multiple realities and everything like that. And thank God, he's not, he doesn't want to take over the world. He just wants to get his family back. Yes, yeah. You know, I mean, say what you want about the guy. Okay, I don't like how you're going about it, but you know what? I got to say, I understand why you're doing it. Yeah. You know, which to me is the, I mean, when you can present a villain that he's doing all these horrible things and he's causing death and destruction and everything like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you know what? I can see why he's doing it, you know, because, mm-hmm. because who am I to say that if I wasn't in that same position, I wouldn't do it too. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, to bring back the people that I love. Yeah. And um, yeah, he's got, this is one of those cases where the villains got a really strong motivation and, yeah. and yeah. you can, you totally understand why he's doing what he's doing. And um, yeah, I did, yeah, because I'm, I mean, you know, like you, I am sick unto death of, you know, take over the world plots and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You know, every once in a while when I like to see him. And of course, that plays into the, you know, the whole family theme of the movie, because we have these various spider characters who become a sort of family, mm-hmm. you know, during the course of the movie. And we have Aunt May, who's also part of this extended family. And then we have miles and his relationships with his family you know yeah, i was gonna so, bring that up too like i love the relationship between him and his father and him and uh and his uncle aaron like those those relationships are so are so real and like i they i i could really i could really feel like those relationships were were really well thought out and really well developed yeah and, and, and you know what it's a pleasure for once to see a movie where you know the kid he isn't a brat Mm-hmm. And him and his father yelling and screaming at each other. You know, just because you have disagreements with people doesn't mean that you're snapping and barking and biting at each other all the time. Right. You know, which Miles and his father don't do it. You know, and I love the scene where after he gets, you know, his superpower, his spider powers. And of course, like any kid, he runs back home and he says, mm-hmm. oh, I don't want to go back to that school. And the mother can see he's obviously. Yeah, freaking. yeah. And he's the father. So now, of course, he falls into the automatic role that fathers do take notes, Perry, you're going to need, this. <laughs> you know, that he's got to be, you know, the authority figure, right. You know, when you're going back to that school and I don't want, and the mother says, no, you know, you know, let him stay. And she makes him pause and takes a look at him. Yeah. Yeah. And then he sees how freaked out he is. And he says, Oh, okay. And he backs off. Yeah. And you know what, to me, that scene rang very true because I can remember times as a kid, 
when things freaked me out and I was in a similar situation. And that's exactly how my mother and father played it, played mm-hmm. the scene out. Yeah. And uh, I, I love just, you know, Jefferson's character in general. Like he's, <laughs> I just love his, he, he's got, he's not a typical, like, you know, authoritarian dad figure you might see in a role as small as his is, right? Because he doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie, but they still give him this really engaging personality, right? Like when they're in the car and um, and Miles is like, don't cops run red lights? He's like, well, yeah, some do, but not your old man. <laughs> and he's like bragging about it. <laughs> and actually, I think not to get political because we don't get political on this mm. show, but I do think that in you know, the times that we're having now in the United States, that the portrayal of a police officer, a black police officer as a, uh, you know, responsible father Mm -hmm. who cares about his son and just wants the best for him because they do have a little back and forth about the school, you know, because mom doesn't want to go to school. But, you know, the father wants him to do it because like any father, he wants a better life for his son. He's not he's not sending him to school to punish him for anything. And Miles understands that. You yeah. know, it's not like a thing where he acts like a bratty kid. Oh, I hate that school and everything. Mm. He under he understands. And he you tries know, he to find ways to get out of it, right? Like he like he he take he purposely chooses all the wrong answers on the test. And the yeah. teacher's like, the only way you could have gotten a zero is if you knew all the right answers and chose the wrong ones. Which, you know what, it's kind of smart, the, the thinking on the part of the teacher. Yeah, yeah. She figured it out. She said, yeah, the only way you could have got all the wrong answers, you had to know the right ones. I yeah. Said, oh, shit. That's that. I said, that's some Sherlock Holmes mm-hmm. <laughs> level thinking there. And also going back to his father, I love when he drops him off at school and he, and, um, and he says, I love you, Miles. And then Miles is like, yeah, yeah. And then he gets on the loudspeaker and he says, oh, you yeah. have to say it back. <laughs> and Miles is like, ah, yeah. It's it's a nice little sitcom moment mm-hmm. that's, you know, dropped into the movie that never forgets that it's supposed, I mean, okay, we do have our heavy moments, mm-hmm. you know, that are in the movie, but it also, there's something like, I like how they have the scene where uh, they're on their way to Queens and mm-hmm. Miles and Gwen, you know, they're talking because they got the chip right. and they got to find a way to repair it. And, you know, they think that, you know, Peter is just, you know, being a dick and he's in the back because he doesn't want to be bothered with them. Mm-hmm. And they're talking. And then we cut to Peter and we see that he's actually been lying there all the time. He's awake. He's smiling. Yeah. And you get the, and you say, oh, okay. He went back there deliberately so the kids could talk. Yeah. Be yeah. kids. And not, and I don't have to be hot. You know, I I can't say enough. I love how smart this movie is. Yes, yeah. And you know, something else stood out to me with um, when I was rewatching it, and just that that scene when um, when Jefferson makes Miles say "I love you too," like that. And you know, Miles feels like all ashamed by it, and his dad just like has that smile. He's like, "That's a copy." Like, and it was just, it's you know, it's it's partly refreshing that you've got this um, because that's the thing about about guys right we're we're taught that you're not supposed to to use the l word oh yeah yeah like you're not supposed you're not supposed to especially not with another guy even if it's your father right you use that with with your wife but that's it. yeah otherwise you don't really say that word and it's just like that whole idea that men are only really allowed two emotions right we're allowed to 
we're allowed to to laugh or we're allowed to be angry and that's it yeah yeah and so i thought it was and having his like so not only is it a funny sitcom moment like you said but it's also kind of a, a progressive moment too for um for this um police officer father to to do that oh well it's yeah well Listen, especially because they're black. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, me and my father didn't say that we loved each other until I think I was like in my 30s, to believe, believe it or not. Yeah, same thing with me and my dad. Yeah. yeah. we was a, Because you know what? I grew up with the notion, as most people in my generation did, people didn't go around saying I love you. You know, families right. didn't go around saying I love you. I love you is what you did. You know, your father put food on the table. Your mother made sure that you didn't, you know, get killed in the street. And she fed you and everything like that. And they put a roof over your head and bought your clothes. And that was love. Yeah, yeah. You know, they didn't have to say it. And you said, you, I love you by going to school, respecting them, and not getting killed in the street. And, you know, and that's what it was. And yeah, for these characters in here to say, I love you. Yeah, that's, that is very progressive. Yeah. You know, you, and thank you for pointing that out. It is. It was very progressive. And it's not something that, I, that I've that i seen this movie a few times. And it's not something I ever noticed until this last time that I'm, when I'm watching it. And I think it's just because it was on my mind because I, I've, been ta- I've been teaching something in my class about one of the stories we were reading and talking about this idea about, you know, men and how little we're allowed to express emotions. And so then when I saw that scene this last time, it just jumped out at me in a way it didn't before. Yeah, well, yeah, but you know what? It's a new age, thank God. Mm. It's a new gen, and like I said, this is a new miles for a new generation. Mm. So, and I'm glad that that's one of the things that he's able to represent, and yeah. that you know, being more open with your feelings, and you know, simply just being able to say, "I love you." If mm. I told you how much money it cost me in counseling to get to the point where I could say it, you'd scream, jump out a window. But that's another story. But, uh, but yeah, movies. Reinventions of characters like this for new generations should, as I said earlier, should represent that generation. Yeah. And I think that Miles does an excellent job of being a Spider-Man for this generation. And this is a movie that the uh, filmmakers, I mean, I don't say this about a lot of movies, but like, the first time I saw this, I said, well, this is going to be a classic. Mm-hmm. This is a movie that 50 years from now, grandfathers are going to be sitting down with their grandsons and watching. Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's also a testament, like, that that part and just, like, the other stuff we've been, like, everything we've been talking about is just, you look at this movie, and on the surface, it just seems like, you know, oh, it's a fun movie. It's a fun kids animated movie, right? But there are all these other different layers to it, and it's and it's so complex and it's such a testament to to lord and miller's skill to to how they're able to craft all this stuff and put all these different layers and complexities of of relationships and morality and motivations into this one movie but give it the veneer of looking like it's just a simple fun kids movie yeah yeah and and i mean that is the brilliance of this movie which mm. you know we have been saying all along in this exploration we've been taking through superhero movies 90% of the time, superhero movies aren't about what you're seeing on the screen. It's not about a guy be- in a costume beating up another guy in a costume. Mm-hmm. There's something up under there. Yeah. yeah. And there's a lot going on up under this movie if you're paying attention to it. Yeah. 
and know, this and this is a movie that rewards those repeat viewings because like i said i watched this several times it wasn't until this last time that i picked up on the the i love you thing oh definitely yeah i mean i've seen this movie what now the, this is this makes three times that i see yeah and every time i watch it i see something new in it mm -hmm. you know you know whether because generally i'm focused on different things like i'm focused on the animation style which again is breathtaking in that mm -hmm. i can truly say there's an animation style i haven't seen before yes yeah it reminds you know, me I, in some ways of the um it's not exactly the same because this is because that was 2d this is 3d animation but it, in some ways it's a little bit which i think may have been intentional it's there there are parts of it that is reminiscent of um the spectacular spider-man uh tv show from a few years ago which oh. which if you haven't seen it it is the best spider-man animated tv show that's ever been out or best spider-man tv show basically really yeah yeah it's really good um but and there there's some similar like they've also got like the kind of like the the exaggerated proportions and all that kind of stuff so there's a lot of that kind of taken over from it but but yeah just in general like this is it is but it's also its own thing it's not ripping off that style it is still also its own unique thing and just like the if you put all the spider-man characters into silhouette you could easily pick them out They've all oh, got absolutely. very distinctive body types and very distinctive appearances and shapes. As a matter of fact, you know, I was looking at the scene where uh, all of the, okay, all of the spider characters are in, you know, the spider cave. Mm -hmm. And Aunt May is there. And if you look at each and every one of these characters, they look like they are all drawn in different animated styles. Yeah, yeah. The anime girl, she looks like anime. Uh, mm. Noir, he looks like, you know, he was drawn from a comic book from the 1930s. Mm -hmm. Spider-Gwen is very crisp and clean and, you know, uh, the only two characters that look the same is Peter Parker and Aunt May, which, you know, as they should. But even, mm. him, but even him and Miles, they look different from each other. They don't look quite like the same animation style. Yeah, yeah. And of course, yeah. you know, Spider-Ham looks like he's out of a, a Looney Tunes well. cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, he looks like an escaped Disney, you get, mm. you know. <laughs> and uh, let's see. What, oh, and, you know, we got to talk about, you know, Aaron Davis, you know, Mahershala Ali's character. And ah. uh, the Prowler. Like, I, this is another one of those examples of just, like, really great character development. Because he's, when he finds out that it's Miles under the mask, and then, like, it just he's got this completely and he and he starts questioning what he's been doing with himself right it's just like it you could see it just like and it, this is a credit both to ali's voice acting and also the animation like you can see those emotions on his face yeah yeah it, it it's okay again this is one of those characters that tugs at your heartstrings mm -hmm. because in a very short amount of time we see the closeness and the relationship between these two characters yeah. in this type of movie, which is why I love this type of movie and that it doesn't waste a whole bunch of time, mm -hmm. you know, telling us about how much these characters love each other. If your uncle takes you out in the middle of the night to an abandoned subway yard to write graffiti to me, that says all I need to know about your relationship right there. Yeah. And there. I don't, yeah. you, I don't need you to tell me a single word. I already know, I already know the type of bond that they have. 
And I, think that was, and I think it was brilliant of them, they go that word again, for them to have that scene in there. Yeah, and also they've got the the scene when they're in the apartment and he's teaching him about the about the shoulder touch. Yeah, that's yeah. another that's another one of those movements. Like it's that it that it it tells you so it speaks so much volumes about the the closeness they have, and and how it's just such a different relationship from the relationship he has with his father. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, actually. Their relationship is more like a little brother, big brother relationship yeah, yeah, than yeah. you know, than nephew and, and uncle. That's what I was thinking. I'm feeling that his uncle was more like his big brother. Yeah, yeah. And it makes you, it 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 hits you even more because not only has Miles lost his uncle, but he's also you know basically lost his best friend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we really think, don't. I well, mean, yeah, because yeah, uh, in in the comics, man. yeah, in the comics, he does like his roommate, Gank. Is um is his best friend in the comics, and he's a very big part of the character's uh the character's um life. In fact, when they introduce Ned in um in the Spider-Man movies, that's basically the relationship between Miles and Gank in the comics. And you know what? I'm glad they didn't go that way in this movie because that's what I was thinking of when I saw that guy in this movie. I said, well, this is just the same guy from the other, you know, the live action movie, right? You know, but. But I see they kind of downplayed his role a little bit. They well, didn't. what they did was like, because that's what it was like in the Miles comics, right? It was Miles and okay. Gank. They had that relationship. And then the Spider Man Homecoming stole that relationship and gave it to Peter and Ned. Okay. Um, and, but they, it, it's also smart they don't, didn't go that route in this movie, not only because of, you know, the Homecoming connection, but also because then it makes the bond between him and Aaron so much stronger because you don't really see him with any other friends other than his uncle. Right, yeah, exactly. And you know, when he's got to talk about something, mm -hmm. his uncle, that's the first guy that he goes to. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't go to his father, which again, going back to what you said, that that, that tells us what we need to know mm -hmm. about the relationship between him, his father and his uncle. It, it It's not like a real complicated relationship, but it does have its dips and bumps. Yeah, that's in the road. And you can, which is what I always tell people, you can do characterization in even in the most action intensive movie like mm -hmm. this one. This one has, but if you know what you're doing, you can have the characterization in there. Mm -hmm. Even in the scene when, uh, which, had, which had me laughing so much, I had to pause the movie, where Peter is completely unconscious and he's being dragged by the train and Miles <laughs> is trying to keep him from getting killed. <laughs> well, something I mean, else I was thinking about, and this is also another example of that characterization was because the whole Peter Parker Spider-Man story is all about, right, tragedy comes to him because he's been running from his responsibility, right? He, because he, he, lets the, he lets the crook run away and he's been using his power selfishly. The movie does the same thing with Miles, but in a very different way, right? Because, because I'm thinking back to when you were saying talking about the subway scene when he's there with Aaron and they're spray painting, how he spray paints no expectations on the oh. on the wall, and how and how it, like his dad, his mom, his teachers, they expect him to to succeed at this school, and he just he's trying to run away from that responsibility. And you know, you know what? I never noticed that until yeah, that is right. That is what he's written. No expectations. Yeah. And then it eventually it comes back to bite him in the ass, right? Because then 
his uncle ends up dying. Not because his uncle's doing the same thing, right? He's running from responsibility, you know, running around, you know, being a, being a criminal. <laughs> and yeah. that, and that, that comes back and it hits them. So they pay the price for that lack of responsibility. But it's a very different way than Peter and uh, his uncle Beth. So which, they is, which, again, which again is a good life lesson that the movie teaches you that you yeah. cannot run away from your responsibilities there, that there are consequences to running away from you know to not living up to the responsibilities you know and know it it doesn't matter if you've accepted them or if they've been put upon you mm-hmm. you know you can't run away from them which is one of the reasons why miles's powers keep giving out yeah right? yeah and I love that scene when um, when uh, Peter's telling all the other Spider-Men what Miles can do. He's like, he can turn invisible. You know, go show him. He's like, I can't do it on command. <laughs> he can't do it on command. <laughs> yeah, 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 you know what? He's still so upbeat. He said, he said, he said okay, we'll do the electro thingy. He says, okay, he can't do it on command. But that's, a, that's all right. He, you know, it's okay. We're all together in this. Wake up. I say, you know what? But it, <laughs> that is so freaking cool. But it all goes back to that whole thing about and the, the running from responsibility, right? That's that's what's affected Peter too, right? Because that's why he's it's all gone to shit, because he couldn't accept the responsibility of being a husband and you know having those discussions about, you know, should we have kids, should we not have kids, right? With, and he ran away from the responsibility of that. And that's why he's become the way he's become. And he ends up learning that lesson himself when he sees this universe is Mary Jane. And that, and that awesome, that see, that's, it's so funny, but it's also so profound, right? When yeah, she yeah. thinks he's one of the waiters and she asks him for bread. He's like, I am so sorry that I didn't give you the bread that you deserved. <laughs> you, you know, so that scene... Again, I got to go back to how smart this movie is. You watch that scene and you're emotionally conflicted because you want to laugh. You want to laugh, but yet you want him to be with her so much that you don't want to laugh, but, you know, you got to laugh. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, there's a whole bunch. And you know what? We got to give the guy that does the voice work of uh, Jake Johnson. Yeah. I mean, that guy, I mean, all the voice work in here is excellent, but yes. there's a lot he has to convey and a lot he does with his voice. And that combined with the animation in that, I mean, it's uh, what we have here is an actual, you know, how can I put it? It's a performance. Mm-hmm. It is, it, you know, it's that perfect melding of animation with the voice character to give us a, honest to Academy Award performance. Yes. You know, that's what it is. It's a performance. It's not just, it's not just a guy coming to a booth and sitting there and just reading lines. No, no, they, they really put the effort into, they, they, they act their asses off in this movie. Yeah. He's, he's given this character life Mm -hmm. is what I'm trying to say. And it has so many great moments. Like that moment when, um, when he has the costume on and he's on the side of the building and he's remembering the, the leap of faith speech. And he just like the way he springs off and the camera inverts. 
so it looks like he's oh. falling up. Like that's such. Oh man, it was just such a amazing visual style in this movie. Yeah, it it and I could think of no better way to show us the audience that there's been a shift in his perception. Mm. That's why we see. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Perfect. It's a what it is. It's what we are seeing is a visual representation of Miles having a shift in how mm. he perceives everything now. And he also his life, you know, yeah. The fact that he's wearing these like hip hop influenced clothes, right? Like the hoodie and, and and the shorts and all that. It's it's it spoke so much volumes about what this Spider-Man represents now. Yeah, it's a total yeah, it's a total inversion. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, you know. And then and, and that that was pretty much, I mean, that visually signified what we've what we kind of knew throughout this whole movie is like this is a hip hop Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, it tells me so much that these filmmakers, how much they understand mm -hmm. the visual style of what they're doing yes. visually in this movie. And I think that that's probably why we're gushing over this movie and why we love it so much mm -hmm. is because there is so much conveyed visually. Yes. In in there. I mean, like the scene where all the spider people are up on the roof mm -hmm. and they're going back and forth. I can't imagine how long it must have took them to animate that thing. Oh, God, with, yeah. With, what is it? Six different characters all looking like they're in six different animation styles. Mm -hmm. But yet, it's, the funny thing is how they're all moving like one big spider. Yeah. You know? And they're synchronized, and there's not no hesitation that they're going across, which, which again is a subtle visual reminder that they bonded into a family now, mm -hmm. because they're all moving as one. Yes, it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's, you know what? I love it when visual filmmakers know when to let the visuals do the work and when to let the dialogue do the work. Yes, yeah. Um, also, did you see the post-credit scene? Uh oh yeah the uh, Spider Man twenty ninety nine yeah Spider Man twenty ninety nine who's played by uh Oscar Isaac and confronted the nineteen sixty <laughs> Spider Man <laughs> <laughs> they keep pointing at each other <laughs> in that goofy animated style that they had back there you could only move one arm at a time oh that was brilliant <laughs> oh absolutely a, a, and listen I love any homage or any reference to the 1960s Spider-Man, mm -hmm. which, uh, you know, I mean, for me, and I'm dating myself, that's my Spider-Man because right. I am old enough to actually remember getting up on Saturday mornings to mm -hmm. watch it when it was yeah. first broadcast. And I loved it, even that shitty second season where Spider-Man did nothing but swing around Manhattan for 20 minutes of the episode. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah, yeah. The second season was kind of. <laughs> we have to do an episode. We have to do an episode of nineteen sixty Spider Man one of these days. Oh, <laughs> that'll be interesting. <laughs> um, well, have you ever seen it? I've seen parts of it, right? Because it's you oh. know, and I mean, it's all on Disney Plus now. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, it's uh, I don't but yeah, that's it's just one of those things that. The, and I, I rewatched the um, the '90s Spider-Man animated series, and it's it's so funny how these things do not age because that was plagued with problems. Like the censors were so 
terrified of everything after the parent backlash from the violence of Power Rangers. So it was like, you know, they, they would get notes like when Spider-Man lands on the roof, he can't harm any pigeons. <laughs> Just shit like really? that. Really? And yeah, like um, Morbius was it. He was a vampire character, but he couldn't suck blood through his fangs. He had to do it through these like little mouths that on his hands. And they couldn't say he drank blood. They had to say he absorbed plasma. And it, it was just ridiculous. Uh, okay. Well, listen, it was a different time. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. 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 yeah it was but yeah. No, but the, you know, the 1960s, I mean, that's just like something for pure nostalgia. Right, right. Because, yeah. you know, of the, I mean, of the style of the animation. If if most people remember it for anything, it's for two reasons. Because of the uh, jazz music that was used. Mm-hmm. And of course, I mean, you know, the theme song. Right. You know, and the fact that everybody. it's memed all over the place now. Like almost every, like 90% of Spider-Man memes use images from that show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what? It's it's something that is now passed into our pop, so pervasive in our pop mm-hmm. culture that a lot of people use it, don't even realize where it's coming from. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else to say about Into the Spider-Verse? Um, only that, you know, and I guess I should explain here now why, because I know I keep tell, I keep saying this to people, I say, why do you keep saying that? You know, that I'm not really a Spider-Man fan. Mm-hmm. I really wasn't. Growing up as a kid, reading comic books, my thing was, you know me by now, folks, my thing was Thor, Iron Man, and the Hulk. If I walked into the uh, corner store and there were two comic books up there, if one was The Flash and Spider-Man, I would take Spider-Man. Right. But if it was like Thor or Iron Man and Spider-Man, I would take he he just wasn't he he just didn't resonate for me as he did for other characters. Although <laughs> I do recognize that uh just because of who he is and what he represents, he's an extremely important character in Marvel history. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's just that, you know, he just didn't turn my crank. That's right. right. So I've so I so I never like got to the whole Spider-Man thing, even though most of my friends were. And you know, most people matter of fact, most people I know, if they know anything about comic books or superheroes, it comes from three characters: Batman, Superman, and Spider-Man. Yeah, definitely. You know, that's it. You know, he he is just he is just as popular as those characters. Yeah. And I've seen like the live action movies and some of them I liked, some of them I didn't for various reasons. Mm-hmm. I won't go into them now, which I will when we eventually get into those movies. So when you said let's watch this movie, however, this one says I had, I had seen it already because like I said, everybody had told me about it. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier on, if I had seen this movie at the right age, I think that I would be a Spider-Man fan instead of a Thor or a Hulk or or, or whatever, mm-hmm. simply because this movie does such an outstanding way of presenting uh, Spider-Man, just not only as these characters, but as a concept. Yeah. Because Spider-Man is also a concept. Mm-hmm. He's an idea, again, that with great power comes great responsibility. This movie does an excellent job of prevent, 
of presenting not only the original Spider-Man, but a new Spider-Man and other Spider-People who embody that concept and tell yes. and tells us why Spider-Man is so important. Absolutely. And I'm gonna shut up now. <laughs> no, I think you 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 said it perfect. You said it perfectly. I mean, this it it does such a good job of showing what Spider-Man is at his core, whether, you know, no matter which Spider-Man it is. And it shows how each of these characters embody those qualities in different ways. And it's just, I mean, there's, there's so much good, there's so much in this movie, right? It's just, it's such a well-made movie and it's, it's, it's just so, so much fun, right? It's, it's got these really profound moments, but it never stops being fun. And I right, think that's- exactly. I mean, you know what? This never forgets it's a superhero movie. Right. So it's supposed to be fun. It's supposed yeah. to be entertaining on some level. Yes, we can deal with all of this deep, heavy, mm-hmm. you know, issues and stuff like that. But we can also have fun. You know what? I mean, if I was going to give somebody, if somebody asked me, okay, well, my kid has never seen superhero movies, mm-hmm. you know, pick out five, you know, that I should give him to watch. This would be in that five. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely yeah. would. In fact, would I mean, the kids who are are people who are kids now and they've got the, and they've they're watching this movie. And I know some people and some friends of mine, you know, they said like, you know, my kid watches this movie like every day, right? Cuz that Oh this, yeah. This oh, is yeah. this is a movie that they are never going to outgrow. No, absolutely not. Yeah. It's it because it works on so many different levels that as they this is going to be a movie that they and they keep watching throughout their entire lives and then they introduce to their kids and their grandkids. Because you know why? This is the type of movie that at different times in your life, like for instance, mm-hmm. uh okay, Superman the movie. Yeah. Superman the movie speaks to you in different ways at different times of your life. Yes. This movie does the same thing. Yes. At yeah. different times, at different times of your life. This movie is going to speak to you in different ways. Matter of fact, this is the movie that you you will remember watching when you're a kid, when you're six or seven years old, and then you're 20 years old or 25, and you come home from work and you're pissed off, and your mm-hmm. boss is on your back, and you know, you know, all of this other shit is happening. This is the movie that you put on, yeah, yeah, to remind yourself of how you felt, you know, and put yourself back in that mood that okay, I enjoy life again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, so I think that's a perfect note to end uh, about Spider-Verse. So uh, that means it's uh, your pick for next week. So what's next? Well, since, okay, since we talked about it so much the last time, I thought that we'd go ahead and jump right into the next one. We did uh, the Ang Lee Hulk. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't think we talked enough about it. Uh, the Incredible Hulk, starring oh, okay. Ed Norton. Okay, cool. Starting Ed Norton, I figured that, you know, and and also I did a, get a couple of people, they asked me, they said, oh, well, are you going to do the other movie too? And I said, well, I hadn't really thought about it. I said, mm-hmm. but, you know, yeah, that would seem to be a logical, you know, follow-up. Okay, cool. So uh, make sure to join us next time when we'll be talking about The Incredible Hulk with uh, Ed Norton. And, uh, and yeah, you're right. It is a perfect time to talk about it because after Ang Lee's Hulk is so fresh in our memories, it is a good time to also go back and look at the Ed Norton Hulk. Yeah, because I don't want to get too far away, you know, like, you know, I don't want to get too far away before we jump back to that and we, 
you know, tie the two together. Because we did some of that in the Ang Lee episode, but the Incredible mm-hmm. Hulk and Ed Norton's performance yeah. uh, is worthy of, you know, its own hour where we talk about it. You know? Absolutely. And, you know, and his version of Bruce Banner. Yeah, yeah. And um, and judging, and it's also good because, you know, we're in, uh, that's going to be what, episode 43 is going to be, that is going to be the next one. And then and looking at the, the polls so far, it's looking like Avengers will be our, our number 50 episodes. So then we can jump straight into um, Mark Ruffalo as, um, as, uh, as to, you know, and we're, we'll still have these other two fresh in our minds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, okay. So Avengers is still leading, huh? Yeah, that's what the, that's what the people are saying so far. So um, if you oh, if well, you don't listen. want Avengers to be in the lead, then you know head on over to the the superhero cinephiles group and uh, make sure you vote in that poll and pick pick a movie you want better. I could talk about Avengers for three hours. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. easily. I yeah. could talk about it. I love that movie. Hell yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so that's it for this episode of Superhero Cinephiles. Remember to follow us on Twitter, Super Cinema Pod, uh, Patreon.com, um, or you could just toss us a donation through PayPal if you go through the website, SuperheroCinephiles.com. Um, please make sure, leave us a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you, you listen to this show because every single review you gives us, it helps boost us up in um, in the rankings and then that that they show us to more people. So help us grow the show by, you know, leaving us a review, telling other people about it, sharing links and, and yeah, and we will see you next time when we're talking about the incredible Hulk. Talk to you later. Uh, Thank you very much for once again, listening and to our rantings and ravings, mine, especially (laughs) good night and God bless. Thanks for listening to the Superhero Cinephiles podcast. If you have any questions or comments about this or any other episode, or if you have a superhero movie or TV show you'd like us to cover in a future episode, you can email us at superherocinephiles at gmail.com, or you can also visit us on the web at superherocinephiles.com. If you like what you hear, leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. Each review helps us reach more potential listeners. You can also support the show by renting or purchasing the movies discussed or by picking up our books, all of which can be accessed through the website, as well as find links to our social media presences. The theme music for this show is a shortened version of Superhero Showdown, a royalty-free piece of music courtesy of Fezleonstudios.com. 